Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Business Leadership Live. Um, it's Monday. Happy Monday, everyone. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Um, this show is about business leaders and subject matter experts to help you move the needle in your business today by providing actionable recommendations and also an opportunity for you to dial in, call in, or leave us questions as we discuss specific subjects and topics. I'm your host, Edwin Frondozo. I am the host of the Business Leadership Podcast. And today, I'm really excited to introduce my guest, a friend of mine, Rohan Nair, the Senior Technology Director at Highline Beta. Welcome, Rohan. Thank you. Thank you for welcome, joining me today. Sir, welcome. Thanks, Edwin. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't I you just... start off with welcome, but... <laughs> You know, well, welcome, welcome to your first uh, first radio show calling with me. No, no problem, and hopefully we'll have many more. But if you could just 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 give our listeners today who you are and what you do, what your responsibilities today at Highland Highland Beta. Cool. So my name is Rohan Nair. I have been in startup technology for about eight or nine years. Thank you for the claps, everybody. Um, I started off my career at Well.ca, where I was wearing many different hats and learned a lot of stuff from. Uh, everybody there, including and especially Ali Asaria. I uh, jumped around a few other places after that in my career. have been at uh, a couple of different venture back startups that have exited, including Well. Uh, about four years ago, three and a half years ago, started my own company. Uh, did that pretty mediocrely. Uh, <laughs> after that, uh, decided to leave, decided to close that one down. Uh, help my friend uh, Braulio Lamb start another one. If he's not listening to this, we have, we're going to make fun of him. Uh, started another one called Pongo Payments, where we built a payments platform. Um, but after that, I was like, shit, like there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff that could be done in the startup life, but I don't just want to constrain myself to a single project at this point in time or a single product. Uh, I want to go and like learn a lot more. And so I, I uh, called up Marcus Daniels, the CEO of Highland Beta, and I was like, and he gave me my first job offer in uh, in Toronto years and years ago, but I went to a well instead. I called him up and he said, hey man, like working on some, you're working on some interesting stuff. Uh, and I truly had no idea what he was working on, uh, but, I, but I like Marcus. And so I said, uh, let's see what we can do for each other. And like a few days later, I had the job offer. Uh, but Highland Beta, we are a startup co-creation company, which means that we work with big corporations to understand the problem spaces that consumers and businesses have from their vantage point. Um, and so we will work with those uh, big corporations to actually identify, uh, validate, and build MVPs around these problems. And our big thing is let's solve these problems at like a massive scale. Let's not, let's not worry about uh, a, a small scale, let's go attack the market and build something transformational. Um, but the, at the end of the day, we're also venture capitalists, so we have we take an investor lens on it. Is awesome. Well, <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I mean, you, you did a whole nacho, um, quick elevator pitch of who you are and me being technology and being immersed in technology. And I'm really curious and always excited to learn from people's experiences and from especially folks like yourself who has been part of many technology organizations, building it up and really trying to get a product to market. I mean, you're that type of person that someone would go to and say, Rowan, I got this amazing idea. How do we get this to market or, or what are the steps to do it? So with that in mind, how would you structure from the start? It doesn't have to be from the start, but like a product organization. What's the best, like if you could do it today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for me, like, the, the, there are three main components to a product organization, or at least like a, a product team, not necessarily even a product organization. Uh, you need to have the technical component, you need to have like a design UX component, and you need to have a business component. 
Uh, and to me, like a really good product team is the coalescence of all these different things to start outputting really, really awesome products that actually help people. So like, let me break down each portion of that. Like uh, the, okay. the, the, the business side is one that I think a lot of new entrepreneurs neglect uh, and don't really understand. But the, the business side is probably the most important if you ask most entrepreneurs, which is how do we actually establish product market fit? And how do we actually sell into the people who we think we're helping? So, I mean, we can have a million ideas on any given day. And like truly most of us do have a million ideas. Some of us are better trained to understand where those ideas are coming from. But th those ideas tend to be surface level. They tend to be symptoms of the problem. And so you have to go deeper and deeper into the symptoms of the problem to get to the core. So, and this is where the business side really comes in. And like, well, we, we can call the people who do these roles product managers. We can call these people who do these roles business analysts. But at the end of the day, like the entire job of that specific uh, part of the, the, the trinity, I'm going to call it the trinity of product, mm -hmm. is to really mm -hmm. suss out what the problems are that people are facing and whether there's an actual, uh, actual way to make money off that problem. And the thing about like making money off that problem isn't like, oh, cool, I just want to go get paid to do random stuff. It's like, no, I want to I make sure that I can build a viable business. We're not just building an app. We're building full product businesses. So, so then the second side, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, so when you're, when you're talking about business and you're talking with startups or, you know, the stakeholders in there, like who personally do you love working for in that type of situation or that organization? Like who's your ideal stakeholder that, that really gets it? Or do you find yourself always teaching and hand-holding people as, as you go through that process? I, I, it can come in two different ways. I think like in, in the most ideal of ideal situations, the CEO is the one who's really got the vision and really understands the market, uh, market space so well that they've identified this problem inherently. Right? With Highline Beta, like we, have, we take a different approach. We're, we're a bit more formulaic about it because at the end of the day, we're sitting here trying to identify many different problem areas. We don't necessarily go and commit a resource to every single thing that we do, but our main thing is let's go identify a specific problem area, uh, one that we think exists, and then we'll go deeper into it. On, in like Basically, if you can picture concentric circles, you want to go deeper and deeper into a, a problem to understand and to, to localize it more and more. So like if our problem is, I'm super thirsty right now. The solution isn't to just like craft me a new app, right? The, the solution is, okay, well, the, the bigger solution is, okay, why am I thirsty right now? Well, I'm thirsty because I haven't actually had any water and I've only been drinking coffee. So then at that point in time, it's like, great, you're not going to hand me a coffee. You're going to hand me a water. And then like the other part of it is how big of a water do I really need? And right now, since I'm talking, I don't need like a massive thing of water. I just need enough water to, uh, to wet my throat so I don't sound right. very weird on the phone. And so th these are all the aspects of, breaking down a problem into component pieces and then the day here's how you you get down to the point where you're like here's the minimal viable thing that i can do to solve this problem mm -hmm. right so like to, to me that's the business side that's what a lot of people uh take for granted and i also think a lot of people take sales too uh like put too much stock in sales because just because you can go out and talk about something doesn't mean you're solving a market problem Right? Just because you can go and sell a, cu a couple of customers on it doesn't mean you're solving a market problem. You have to go down and really understand what you're doing so that you're having so much impact that people are walking away from the sales call going, holy shit, that was the solution to what we need right now. And like, let's do things more in that way because you're changing minds there. You're changing hearts and minds. You're not just solving a symptom of a problem. Right. Oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So I, I didn't want to stop your trinity. So I think we're on number two. 
Number two is the, the UX and design side. And, and I think design, design doesn't just encompass a visual design. It encompasses like service design. It encompasses how people are going to use your product end to end. And, and this isn't just a specific, again, this is not a specific role. It's just a specific function of like the Trinity. And you, you want to make sure that the people who are using your product can use it in the best way possible. And like we've all seen a lot of different things and a lot of different vendors come through who like who have a solution. When you're actually using the solution, you're trying to use the solution. It's really hard. It's unwieldy. It's costing you a lot of time and, and energy. So that's those are products that get fired. And like going back to my point about salespeople, it's like it's great to understand what somebody's needs are, but you also have to have that need met by a really, really good product experience that people come off, like the users come off and saying, okay, this is something that like. I either don't realize uh, if there's any pain points or like this is a pleasure to use, which then leads to the third part, which is the technical, which is technical. We, we can build anything under the sun, give it enough time and enough budget. Mm-hmm. The technical aspect has to be what is like the minimal viable thing that we have to build and what is that done within the context of the business requirements and the user experience. And so like, right. here's like, here's the whole trinity. It's the whole lessons of all three things. You can't just have one or the other or two and like, neglect a third because that's where you get mediocre products and ones that get fired all the time. You need all those things coming together and then you, you can build something really novel and something that is transformative in the market. Awesome. No, that's great. I got a question here uh, from, from the audience, um, which is nice. could break it up a little here. So if you're listening and uh, definitely shoot us a question on the website or, or dial in and would love to have you join us live. But what was the best product team you were part of? And looking back, what made it successful? The product, the people, or was it luck? I think at different points in time in my career, I've worked on teams that are, this is completely going to be a cop-out answer in one sense, but let me explain it. Uh, <laughs> at different points in time in a product lifestyle, different times in my career, uh, I've enjoyed doing some stuff more than the others. Um, and I think at the end of the day for me, and this is very specific to me, uh, the thing that's always super interesting is the ability to kind of put together and like work together on a problem that's actually going to impact a lot of users. So I remember a few years ago, and like this is where I'm going to find a broad a little bit. He had hired me to this company, Terapeak. When I got yes. when I came into Terapeak, um, we, we basically were at a – at this weird standstill where like literally the day before I started, one of the CTO, like the CTO before uh, the current one we had when I was working for the duration of it, he'd been, he'd left the company to put it mm-hmm. diplomatically. Um, and like a lot of the development, product development had been done for, with an offshore team. And we were like three months or four months behind on an actual release. Like customers hadn't seen new, a new release in like four or five months and they there was a lot of bugs in the system and a lot of things hadn't been moved forward so like my my first couple of days there first couple of weeks there was just like i'm going to go work on something else because i've been tasked on how do you replatform uh, this really really janky legacy ui into something that is way better and, and, and like have a, has a better basis uh with, in terms of apis has a better basis in terms of usability etc um, but i got pulled back into this particular thing and like what happened was we were just sitting there unfucking the situation. We were basically saying we need to just get product out just so that our customers can see some value from some of the new things that we've been promising them for a while. Yeah. And so our, our team, what we did is we basically moved into our boardroom. We kicked everybody out to the chagrin of uh, maybe like two people, <laughs> not that many, uh, mercifully. But like I, we, we kind of moved into the boardroom. 
We said, we're, we're going to call this the war room and we're going to go super, super analog in the sense that it wasn't Jira that we were doing stuff on. It was, we were just manually putting up a sprint board on a, on a whiteboard. We were sitting there super collaborative just to get features out the door. And at no point in time do we have a structured plan on how we're going to execute. It was more like, we just need to do these tasks in this order. And we're going to need ruthless about prioritization because the thing is, we're just shipping an MVP. We need to ship something that is going to bring maximum impact with least amount of work uh, for, for, for the end users. And for me, at that point in time, it was like one of the most fun experiences because, it, A, it reminded me of some stuff we were doing back in the day as well. But it was like the team is coming together. No egos. Everything is put mm-hmm. out the window. We're, we're kind of working a little bit late when we need to, but it's, it's like the camaraderie of the situation. There are problems that we see. We're putting up on the board. We're all kind of attacking those problems in a very collaborative manner. Um, and on top of that, like everybody in the entire organization was bought it. We have days where like we were going pretty late, like startup uh, horror stories, but we, we were going pretty late. And CEO would be in there with us. And he had no real, he had really nothing to do in there, except it was just like, I'm going to go help you guys unblock, uh, unblock any problems that you guys have. Then that problem might just be that you need dinner. Yeah, like in those sort of situations where it's like there's something on the line, and at the same point in time everybody's coming together, those are the ones that I've always found most interesting and most uh, enjoyable. So I mean, I mean that that's a very specific um, example. I appreciate you sharing with that. So I mean, in a nutshell, and just to really summarize, as the product leader in that development uh, situation, the, the the key stakeholder left, and from the sounds of it, all all you did, not all you did, and it sounded like you needed to really come together and and just, just bang it out startup style, right? Even though this was yeah. an organization that had, I'm not sure, but there were there were hundreds of people in that organization at the time, right? About 100 people. Yeah. yeah I think we were about 80 to 100 at that point in time. Okay, great. But like, so, the thing is, like, it just, and so, like, you, you just said something, like, as a product in these situations, your job isn't to sit there and actually go and write the code. Your job is to facilitate mm-hmm. everything, right? Your, your job is not to sit there and go tell people what to do. It's like a pure facilitation aspect. Right, right. No, I mean, and and that's pretty amazing to me. So I wanted to just shift gears. I know for you, you've been a number of, I mean, being a product leader within product management or in product ownership, I mean, it's a very specific person. Can you tell me what do you love about, about the job now and for people who are listening or people to get into the role, well, what are the steps they need to do to get to the position you are in today? Uh, <laughs> fail upward. That's like that. Uh, I like no, that. It, <laughs> in truth, I, I think for me, I just got to the point where I found myself having much more impact when I was stepping back and not being a bottleneck on stuff. Mm-hmm. So that meant for me just making sure that all of the really irritating stuff that most people hate doing is being done. But that's not to say that I'm sitting there just doing purely administrative stuff all the time. It's like some of that includes just being a decision maker on a lot of different things, right? It means like there's always going to be tiny little forks in the road that have major impact down the line. So the more experience you have on in these product organizations and shipping product, the more you start understanding the implications of these. And some and most of them actually tend to be noise. But every now and then there's a situation where there's like actual it's an actual signal. And you need to you need to be there to be when when you understand the entire situation, the entire macro situation of your product organization, you understand when these situations are popping up. And they're they're the big inflection points of if we go 
to this route on the left, we're going to do X thing. If we go to this route on the right, we're going to do Y thing. And it's going to mm-hmm. have a major impact on the organization, on the roadmap. And sometimes, actually not sometimes, most of the time, these sort of situations are hidden. So you don't understand. It's just like you just see the tip of the iceberg, but it's a massive, massive implication uh, of what you'll be doing down the line. The positive side of that is like it's usually somebody coming up with an idea that like is just something that nobody else has thought about, but it's it's like a combo breaker. It's like we're just going to stop working on a lot of things because now we found a new way and a new, more innovative way of doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the luxuries of working in a product organization is that you can actually go and tug at that thread and see where it goes. Whereas if you have like a fixed scope SOW in a service organization, it's really hard to actually go change enough minds to say this is the new director we need to take. Right, right. So, so, so to two, answer your question though, yeah, I'm going to start putting drop and I was going to answer your question just in summary because I know I haven't done that properly. Um, the thing is like the more experience you get, the more you have to look at things from a strategic perspective to understand how projects get derailed or how products go in the wrong way. And I think that's how you get to the, the, the point in time where you are leading product development, you are leading product strategy, et cetera. No, that's great. Um, if you had a magic wand, Rohan, um, you knowing what you know about product development, product strategy, what would you change, whether it's within your specific organization or maybe within the industry itself, what would you change for the good and how? Well, it's going to sound so socialist, but like I, for me, product organization should be like hierarchy Um And I think the magic wand needs to be that uh, no, no one person thinks they're above the fold when it comes to building products mm-hmm. and everybody's got a different role. So like, if I could, I would just like wave a wand and get rid of a lot of the people in suits who are trying to impact product, not because they don't have the impact on the organization, but it's just like, if you haven't ever shipped product, you tend to have more of a, you tend to have more fun because of the fact that you can build something. And I think a lot of people need to understand that like building something is the last step. It's understanding every other piece before that, which means that you need to have every single part of the organization working together to do the business side, the UX side, and the technology side. Right? Like, I mean, I didn't commit to any specific roles earlier because it's not like developers are sitting in one place, uh, PMs are sitting in another, and uh, US is sit, like designers sitting in a third. You have to have an organization that's got a nice blend of all of those things without any one person sitting there and saying, no, here's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Right. It has it has to be something that the market and the users dictate, and then there's different roles within that, where people can go and break down tasks into a prop or break down roadmaps into tasks. And there are specific roles where people are sitting there writing code. But if I had a magic wand, I would get rid of all the people who are sitting there just solely because their authority demands it. Right. Or right. No. teach everybody just the fact <laughs> that like in, in a good product organization is egoless. And you just have to uh, get shit done. Awesome. Um, before I before I slowly close this show, I just got a new question from an audience here from Brian. Thanks for the question, Brian. Um, it says, <laughs> "Have you come across a situation where carrying on with status quo was going to lead to failure, and you had to make a significant change to how we how you were going to build the product?" How difficult was it to convince yourself into making this change and how did you overcome any challenges with selling these changes to the key stakeholders as well as the team? Brian, I think that's like eight questions in one, but I know, I know. He, <laughs> but knowing Brian, I know, I know, I knew that this was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> Brian asks me very detailed questions all the time. It's something that I do appreciate. 
Um, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of destroying the status quo on everything. I, I don't think there's, there's such a real long-term way of holding up a status quo with their product organization because oh, unless the status quo is that you're like listening, you're talking to customers every day and that's all you're doing and you're running on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's hard to actually do as you scale organizations. You need to always change the status quo to have better training to, and, and there's going to be a point in time where you're diluting the type of people you're hiring into being people who are doers. Well, not okay. That's, that's, that's the strategy. It's, it's more like the people who are wearing many hats are the people who are way more specialized in specific functions. Right. So like we can start off a company, you and I Edwin, tomorrow and like we both be doing half the stuff in the company and then right. we might hire Brian. It's like, great. We need Brian to go work on some awesome uh, technical stuff. So that means that there's something off my plate on the technical side and you're like, great, we're going to go have somebody who's coming in sales and you get way more specific roles in that sense. Mm-hmm. But we have to change how we do, how we build products because we have two more people added onto this. And when two more people becomes 10 more people becomes a hundred more people, every single thing you're doing on a daily basis needs to be free flowing and flexible and the status quo needs to be blown up because your organization is like, there's no organization in the world that sits there and goes, great, we're going to go through every single thing with our status quo and uh, we're going to scale appropriately. So the first part of the question is, yeah, let's, let's get, let's just blow up the status quo. You have to go iterate. You have to make as part of your framework of how you're building products. You have to give yourself the opportunities to change course. And sometimes new opportunities present themselves, new technology emerges, new talent emerges. And so you have to go and have, you have to go and shift your organization, your product uh, focus in slight bits. With that said, you don't want to go switch from zero degrees trajectory to 90 degrees trajectory. You want to make like little small incremental changes over time, zero to 5% to minus 5%. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's on a, that's not a 360 degree scale, but like, right. Is you, you, you always have to be doing that. And like when you need to make major transformative changes, well, sometimes that's a hard decision that requires laying off a lot of different people and requires cutting a lot of different groups. Um, I mean, I think, I think we just saw this uh, happening at Hubba a few, a few weeks ago where mm-hmm. they did have to lay off a significant portion of their organi- or of their organization, but like, that's an organization that's got a pretty decent pedigree so far. And so it's like when Ben Zifkin is saying that, it's like, okay, this is good. These aren't like the regular layoffs that some other companies have because they need to cut staff because they're running out of capital. This is like, we've now decided to cut certain things that aren't making our organization good. We do have to make some hard cuts. We do need to treat our people right in that sense too, because if you're not making those cuts, all the other people remaining there are going to go, oh shit, okay, well, what are we working on? Status quo still in place. And you have to, I think, always be trying to slim down your organization just to allow for growth in other places. Exactly. Well, no, I perfect. Thank you for answering it, Brian. Thank you for the question. As we and looking to close the show, any final tips, um, actionable recommendations, Rohan, for the listeners out there who are probably within a technology sense, whether there's a business person that you love to work with or hate to work with, or or or, uh, or anyone who else is listening and really interested in it. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned that's like a life pro tip is if you're not talking to other people about the things that are happening around you, you're not really doing a whole lot to improve yourself. Um, And for me, that means like having friends who are in product organizations that are so far away from, that are doing things that are so far away from what I'm doing that I get a different perspective on it. Um, And it means also like having interesting conversations with people who do stuff in ways that I completely disagree with, just to understand what the nuances are. 
Uh, and I think like out of that healthy conflict, out of that healthy dialogue, you start understanding a bit more about what makes something tick. And also on the other side, you learn the lessons that other people, uh, other uh, uh, from the faults that other people make. Uh, and I think like for me, also my career, is, I got super lucky because I watched a lot of people make the wrong decisions. And I got mm-hmm. to go break, break that down with them uh, and really understand why, how and why they made that decision in the first place. Because well, most of us are missing most of the context. But the other side is also like how they would... Uh, how they would treat it differently. And I think in Toronto, there's a lot of groups and a lot of different people you can just catch a beer with and uh, hear a lot of interesting stories. And that I think is the best way of going forward. And that's the biggest tip I have. Awesome. So Rohan, I I think for those listening, I think that was an invitation from Rohan. Beers on him. Um, But where can we get it? (laughs) Beers on Braulio. (laughs) <laughs> so, where can we find out more information about you, Rohan, the things you're working on, or anything special else that you'd like to share to the audience? Uh, get at me at, at Rohan10. Um, I feel like since there are eight people on here, I, I might know all eight of these. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just, just reach out to me on Twitter. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you see me in the street, that's probably not the right time to reach out to me. Uh, but if you sing at the bar, just come buy me a beer. Um, and then if your name is Braulio Lamb, uh, you're buying all the beers. Yes. Um, jumping on this call with us. I like that. I like that. Well, thank you, Rohan, for your for for taking the time to join us today. And for everyone, again, thank you for tuning in. And if you get the recorded version of us, feel free to sh- uh, you know reach out to myself or Rohan anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Any comments, any feedback. And if you haven't done so yet, please listen to my latest episode of the business leadership podcast, my episode, my latest episode was with, with Carl Rodriguez. He's the CEO founder of Soti technology leader in mobile management, but that's it folks. I hope you all enjoyed it and I'll see you all next time.